This is Off the Record with Big C and Slim Nick. Well, thank you, Shaggy. You're 50% right uh, again after last week. Uh, it's Big C for sure. Again, I'm here. I think I am. Yeah, that's me. And um, sadly, though, um, due to his continued recovery and um, the recurring uh, effects post-COVID, as he was t- telling us all about, uh, sadly, Slim Nick won't be here again this week. However, we have a topic and joining me, a very special guest, live from Melbourne, Australia. And the time there will be, it must be almost exactly now, 7.30am on Thursday. I'm talking to you tomorrow. Strange old world we've got. It is um, singer, songwriter, guitarist, and Romeo the Safecracker, Dunmore. Hi, thanks for joining me. Thanks, great to be here. You look like we got the sun shining through at 7.30 a.m. anyway, don't you? It, it's a beautiful sunny morning in Melbourne. It's probably about 18 degrees. Yeah. Uh, that's what we like. We, we like a, a nice hot day. And we, we like a little bit of an accent on here as well. A bit fed up with the English accents. Um, so getting an Australian one is good. I'm not going to even try doing an Australian accent. Um, do Australians do English accents very well? Uh, some do, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Nice one. Nice one. Um, okay. Well, the topic, as you well know, um, we're going to be discussing all things musically, at least, um, from down under. Uh, yep. Uh, it's Aussie rock. That's the theme. Probably get into a bit of pop as well. Um, but as one an Aussie, and two, a rocker, um, Austin, as I will call you, Austin Dunmore, um, will be a great guest to have on and chat about everything that he knows, and he's going to know a lot about Australian music. Um, before we get on to your, maybe a little bit of a pricey, I think you've prepared something that you can talk about, uh, sort of the origins, maybe influences, um over the years, maybe even some current artists as well, I'm not sure. Um, tell us a bit about yourself and tell everyone about you. I know that listeners to CBW Radio um, may well have heard tracks already from your EP, The Caning, which was out on September 9th, which was, well, as I say, almost a week ago exactly, but it is a week ago for you because you're on Thursday already. You're on the 16th. We're on the 15th. Um, yeah, a couple of tracks I know that I heard. A couple, uh, Sustain and uh, Limousine, I think, were played today. And um, Vincent Crane was another one that I I, I really love them all, buddy, to be fair. Fantastic, yeah. Um, I've, uh, I've been playing uh, music pretty much since I was a teenager. Um, uh, played in uh, cover bands um, uh, uh, and out in nightclubs before I was old enough to drink. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, 
that was in Canberra. I grew up in Canberra. Uh, I moved down to Melbourne when I was 20 years old. Uh, did not understand the the Melbourne scene at all. It took me a, took me a long time to a, adjust to what was going on uh, musically and and culturally in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I kind of I've been moonlighting a, a, as a musician uh, while I do other day jobs pretty much mm-hmm. my entire adult life, and mm-hmm. uh, I gradually got my act together. Um, in the uh, in the mid uh, noughties to, uh, to to start uh, seriously uh, putting out my own music, uh, and I actually had a band called The Caning. Oh, okay. And it went through a couple of lineups, and then around two thousand and eleven, two thousand and twelve, things uh, things came together. Had a great crew. Um, started writing some really good songs. Playing uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, the local venues, and I had a friend whose partner, whose husband, was um, uh, uh, the owner of a, uh, a a great little studio in New Jersey. Uh, used to uh-huh. used to be owned by Madonna's producer, Quantum Sound. Um, it was where um, uh, Andy Wallace mixed uh, a, a lot of uh, big records, like. Um, uh, uh, Nirvana's Nevermind, uh, Rage Against the Machine, and so forth. Jeff Buckley's Grace. Oh, anyway, uh, they uh, they packed it up in the mid nineties, and uh, and uh, uh, my friend's husband Tim Gillies uh, 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 bought the place and started producing records, and uh, and he turned it into a um, a kind of mean and lean production house for uh, for, for uh, records, and I think he he's got about seven hundred records. That, that he was involved in in one way or another really? in, 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 over the span of 20 years or something. Uh, he did uh, a, a, a lot of emo stuff, Taking Back Sunday and Thursday in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he said, uh, let's, uh, let's make a record together before we both die of old age. So we did <laughs> it. Uh, we, we flew him out for pre-production uh, from, um, from uh, the States to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Uh, worked remotely. He he went back to the states. Uh, we we spent uh, three months uh, working under his instructions, and he came out and recorded us at uh, Sing Sing, one of Melbourne's best studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the the tracks went back to uh, Big Blue Meanie, uh, the studio, uh, to, uh, to to get mixed. And uh, at the end of two thousand thirteen, we had a record, and that's. Uh, that's when uh, all the trouble started. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's had a it's had a very difficult existence. We um uh, we didn't get it mastered right, in my opinion. Um, I, I got it remastered again last year, and it uh, it finally came up the way I I expect I had expected it to sound in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, while we were uh, trying to work through what to um what what to do with the record. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the band basically lost direction and, and fell apart. And, uh, and so I was in the wilderness for a couple of years wondering what, uh, what the next move was. And then I realized mm. I can still do this under my own name. So, uh, that's, that's the, the, the genesis of the Caning EP. Was that musical differences? Was it the old musical differences thing? 
No, probably uh, uh, just um, just just the, uh, the the strain of the the situation. Like mm. we, we we didn't really have the money to throw at uh, at the problems that uh, that we were faced with. We didn't mm-hmm. like we we were independent. We didn't have a record label, and we didn't mm-hmm. really have anyone advising us either. We could have mm-hmm. used uh, like a, a mentor figure, or figure like a, a manager or something in that situation as well. Mm. So uh, it's. It's unfortunate uh, that uh, that the band disintegrated, but the the music's still great, and I'm still writing, uh, and uh, and uh, I'm still active. So uh, I, I wanted to do my best to uh, to put this music uh, out there and uh, and and put out more of it. Are these songs from 2013 and the album you're talking about? Then, were, is this were the ones on the Caning EP? One that's some they're, they're all they're all. They're all the uh, all of those tracks are produced by Tim Gillies. So yes, okay. So they were from they were like from what would have been your first album, or that was that's, your first album. That that's yeah that that's the uh, that the the prime cuts of the first album. So all there, right, there were, okay. I'm there with were you. other tracks as well, and yeah, I, I went for the EP format. I just that I'll just take the bit. I'll I'll do a best of something that uh, that punches mm. hard. Vincent Crane, I, I, I looked at the um, when I when I knew you were coming on. In fact, I said to Jeff, uh, who played the, a few songs on the radio, Jeff Stritch on CBW Radio, um, every weekday morning, six a.m. to noon on CBW Radio. Um, I, I mentioned to him that you're coming on, and I, I sort of jokingly said to him, actually, um, I'm hoping that you know, as an Aussie, you know, you're you're like a Michael Hutchins, you know, with the with the flowing hair. Just so my rugged looks didn't show you up at all, so I think I think you'll be all right on that score. Um, Vincent Crane is a song I really love, and I looked at the YouTube video. I noticed it said 2014 on it, so I assumed it was an older song. I wasn't too sure about uh, Sustain or Limousine or, or, or whatever. Um, the Vincent Crane it is a great song. It's like um, slower tempo. That's one of your songs. I take it you, you wrote that too. That is that is mine. The uh, the main riff was something that uh, Tony, the other guitarist, came up with, or he just he just reeled it out. And I said, "Stop! What is that?" And uh, <laughs> and uh, I actually love the way that that uh, that track came together. It's not a short track; it's six minutes. Yeah, it's got basically seven stanzas, seven mm-hmm. kind of verses, and um, and, and the the lyrics just tumbled out of me. So the, the lyrics are about uh, music, uh, mu- the creative act of music. So there's a lot of kind of, uh, you know, magic tricks kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, imagery in the, in the lyrics. Um, and we brought the song to Tim and, uh, and he said, you're going to like, you beat everyone over the head with a ratchet with that riff. You've got to, you've got to do more with the music or make it shorter. Mm. And, and so I would throw in a, a like a, a new change or a, like a, a new musical idea. And, um, and uh, Tim fought me pretty much all the way. Like he was, he was really <laughs> adamant that it should be shorter until I just kept throwing uh, uh, idea after idea into the song until we ended up with that. So mm. it really like Tim provided the, uh, the, the creative pressure for me to come up with it. I'm it. really, I'm really proud of that. That tune. Yeah, it's the, um, a great song. Yeah, it is a slower tempo, but it's still got that rocking rhythm, a rocking beat, isn't it? That, as you said, that riff, it comes in quite early on, doesn't it? The riff, really, I think, from what from recollection. 
Well, well, the base is kind of suggesting it uh, right yeah. from the start, mm. and then okay. and then sort of, yeah, it sort of blows in. And the title, Vincent Crane, is that who I think Vincent Crane is, or is this random Vin- name? Vincent Crane of Atomic Rooster, because yeah, uh, it, I was going to say Vincent. To- Crane. Prior to Atomic Rooster, he was. Um, a crazy world of Arthur crazy Brown. World, crazy world of Arthur Brown. In fact, I think he co-wrote uh, Fire. Yeah, which um, was a seminal track. Obviously, it, it inspired like the the whole wave of Hammond Rock with Deep Purple and Uriah mm. Heap. All of who I was like massive a massive fan of growing up. Mm, yeah. But I, I didn't. I like I, I I'd never come across Atomic Rooster, or I might have seen like seen their name, but had no idea who they were. Oh. You must have because it was, it was so when, when you yeah so when I young for this. when when I finally discovered who Vincent Crane was and and uh, heard Death Walks Behind You the album I just went oh my god this is like the missing album from my childhood it was like the the kind of it it, it was like um a a piece that completed a puzzle for me mm-hmm. so I, I was uh I was mad about Atomic Rooster for um for a good few years there so mm-hmm. uh. uh Making a tribute to Vincent Crane was uh, like a, a, a very sort of natural thing for me to do. It was like, yeah, um, he's. Uh, I just wanted to um, kind of acknowledge uh, his uh, his contribution to my musical DNA. Mm. He's a keyboardist, wasn't he? He was. He was. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, they weren't massively. They were. I mean, I don't know what they were, how big they were in uh, in Australia, but. Um, Atomic Rooster weren't hugely successful here. Um, I mean, I think Devil's Answer was probably the. That's right. They had that one kind of one big hit. hit. Yeah, mind you, mind you, Arthur Brown. I think only had one hit as well. To be fair, well, that that was a really big hit. That was it number was one a in massive, the UK, wasn't it? Number one yeah. in the UK, certainly. Yeah, and, and so so apocalyptic. You know, like over the other yeah, side just, of the pond, just... there's the summer of love, and then <laughs> you guys are like jiving on like. Like, Fire, a, yeah, exactly. yeah, with that keyboard riff on there, yeah, da, da, da. Um, yeah which is Vincent, can, Vincent Crane, indeed, yeah. Well, now I, you know, now I, I'm putting it all together, but yeah, I'm gonna try. I'm not sure whether Jeff's played that one, I'll, I'll certainly have to request it tomorrow. Um, anybody can actually request Vincent Crane by Don Moore, and you're like that is your stage name as such. You call it, you're like Bon Jovi, you know, your, your, your band name is your, song. yeah. Or, or, or maybe post Malone without the post. I'm just. All oh, right. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. All right. Okay. Um, well, that's good. And um, it's, it's a great EP, I must say. I do love it. I know Shaggy was saying he loves it. And Jeff, Jeff was, uh, well, he's playing one of the songs today. I think it was Limousine. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, I mean, he just messaged me. Wow. This guy is awesome. Great. Awesome. It doesn't come quite the same way across in the text as it does in person, but awesome. Um, and it is good. It is good. Right. I did ask, and I'm sure you have, you've done a lot of research. We like we like guests that come on and have done a bit of research themselves. Um, Australian artists over the years, if you, if you want to give us um, a little bit of a, a little bit of background to music down under um, when things started to move, you know, who was big, who wasn't, 
uh, maybe even you know international artists that were big too that influenced Australian artists. And I'm sure, as I said to you off air before, there's going to be a number of bands here that I'm not going to have heard of, probably, I guess. But in the same way, we're going to have a lot of British bands that just don't make it anywhere else. Uh, they're uh, uh, what's the word? Stereotypically not archetypal British artists, and the same in America. I'm often saying to uh, Jeff, um, bands that are huge in America, like Journey, Cheap Trick, Boston, these sort of rock bands that really dent the surface in the UK. They're not really massive. And yet one of our biggest, I'm always moaning uh, about, I don't know what, you must know status quo. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, Whether down, or not you're... Down. Yeah, Downtown Down Down. was like I was yeah, I was obsessed with that track when I was like six years old. Yeah, that was a great song. Um, and it was their only number one in the UK, actually, despite having about 75 to 80 hits. That was their only number one. Massive. I think they should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, which is where Shaggy is at the moment. Um, but because they didn't have any hits in America, they had hits everywhere else. Presumably in Australia, they had hits. You know, Down Down, obviously, they must have had a, a big following down there. Yeah, yeah. America is a tough market to crack uh, from the outside, um, it's as so ACDC found. Is, yeah, yeah. It's so it's so big. Yeah, I mean, even ACDC. Yeah, um, I think we're giving away too many secrets. ACDC might be on our lists. Well, it might be on yours. I don't know for sure. Um, but um, yeah, they they haven't had having done a little bit of research on this, looking at the success chart wise. I mean, in uh, they didn't have any top top no they didn't have any uh number one albums in the states i believe and they're certain singles no uh no not even a top 10 i mean it, it is weird mm-hmm. strange but there you go yeah but uh yeah we'll we'll get to that let's go uh, back in time let's go back in time how far yeah. are we going back in time to well, uh, let's go back to the origins of rock and roll, I guess. Uh, yeah, okay. Chuck Berry. Um, yeah, absolutely. Love a bit now, of Chuck. I've, I've been doing a bit of vinyl trading uh, in, in the last year, and uh, one of the things that, uh, that becomes obvious if you have a look, uh, as I have, uh, at uh, like the, the vinyl market in Australia and what, uh, what Australian uh, uh, like pressing plants were actually putting out, Mm-hmm. Uh, is is that uh, like we've we've always been very weak with classical and jazz, no mm-hmm. representation at all, but uh, pop and rock huge. So uh, I, I think that there's and probably folk. not and folk uh, maybe folk folks probably. Well, I mean, we we had the Seekers, so uh, yeah. So, so I think folk was pretty well represented yeah. too. And uh, there's a Skyhook song that references Leonard Cohen. Like oh, back really? In, like, yeah. So uh, I think that uh, Australia's always been very, uh, very switched on when it's come to British music at least mm. and and like a fair bit of American music. Like I, we're like you. Like I, I didn't uh, really hear about Journey at all until, you know, the internet age. Mm. Had yeah, uh, had no idea who they were, mm. um, except from guitar magazines. 
I, I'd never, I'd never heard "Don't Stop Believing" until I was in my thirties, at least. Well, to be honest, it's strange. Don't stop, it's such a big song, isn't it? And I, I don't think I was really that aware of it, funnily enough, until it appeared on. It was one of these. Uh, oh, I think it was Glee when all the kids were singing it, and it was a big hit here. And as a result of that being a big hit in the UK, at least. Um, the journey one was, I think, reissued, and you know, I think, yeah, it's not a bad song. And so, another one that uh, that probably wasn't as big here as it was uh, over in the UK is T Rex. Mm. Um, I, I remember, uh, I can't remember if it was the it, it was one of the bands in the early seventies, but I'm not sure if it was the Valentines or like Daddy Cool or somebody. Uh, went over to uh, the UK in the early 70s and, and found, oh, it was, I'm pre- I think it was the Valentines, mm. um, and, and f- like found this kind of glam rock scene and mm. the T-Rex was huge and they didn't sound they like them. And they, they basically, you know, came back home with their tails between their legs. Right. Um, and, so I don't remember them. The Valentines didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I'd, like I've I've read a lot of interviews uh, with musicians since or, you know, seen them on, you know, uh, TV or documentaries or whatever. Uh, mm. uh, who comes to mind? John Taylor of Duran Duran talks about yep. how, how big an influence T Rex was for him, mm. and um, and a lot of like that. Uh, they are obviously highly influential. And he was, um, he was the Taylor king of glam. To, yeah, uh, Mark exactly. Molan was the king of glam with, with Bowie the, in the early days, maybe. But, and you look at the numbers. You look at the 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 hits. That he had, you yeah, know, absolutely. and the chart rankings and stuff. He, he was obviously very, very big. Um, a very sad uh, uh, individual. I think he was. I know. I remember seeing him, Mark Bolan, interviewed on a um, an, a, a TV uh, chat show um, when he was probably at his peak, probably 23, 24 years old, perhaps. And they asked him. Yeah, you know, you got all the girls chasing after you. You got all the money, you know. You you've got all the fame. Um, what, what do you? Where do you think you'll be when you're thirty? And his answer was, "I don't think I'll be here when I'm 30. So you know, and of course, he died in 1977. Um, yeah, a, a sad, a sad tale. But but I, I loved a bit of Mark Bowman. It was a great lyricist. But it was the feel of the songs. Um, I'm sure they didn't make a lot of sense, uh, a lot of the songs, but um, Get It On was, was Delightful big, nonsense. Delightful nonsense. And why not? You know, I, lo- I love a tune. I love a tune. Uh, always had this debate with uh, Nick, who's not with us today. Um, but I, I must have given, I know you're going to say you want both, and I do really, but if, if the melody comes if it's a good melody, then yeah, okay. It doesn't matter so much to me about the lyrics. And I think more in rock as well, uh, and and heavy rock. If you've got a great riff and like a, a well delivered uh, vocal, it doesn't mm. like Deep Purple, Black Knight. That's that's more delightful nonsense. You know that <laughs> song is that is a song about nothing if there mm. ever was. You know, and mm. it's just it's just a great rock track. Mm. That was a that was probably one of their big hits here as well. Actually, they, they didn't have many, but they weren't really singles bands. So a lot of these bands we're talking about, T Rex aside, of course, they were uh, they were more a singles band than an albums band. I would have said, although 
uh, Electric Warrior, I think was one of Nick's favourite ever albums, actually. Um, and The Slider were, were great albums. But generally, they were a singles band. They had number ones, and they with uh, Metal Guru. I mean, were they? They weren't so big in Australia, though, were you? Say, uh, I didn't yeah. hear much of them on the radio growing up. Uh, I was only really vaguely aware of them. They were just kind of in the in the mix with a whole bunch of other. Um, but you're probably uh, only about three or four years old at the time. I would have thought, anyway, weren't you? Well, yes, but you, you still got you still, still got hear the, it. the classic the classic rock transmission from um, you know the oldies radio station. So mm, you oh, got yeah, yeah. All the, you got all of the hits from yesteryear being uh, being recycled over and over. And and mm. T Rex wasn't really prominent uh, in that. Uh, uh, I guess in I'd be surprised if it was um, if it figured prominently in in Australian. Uh, radio airplay statistics. I, I I could be wrong, but uh, but that's just my impression. Uh, anyway, uh, we anyway, should probably yeah. talk about Australian rock. So yeah, I mean, we had Cold Joy and and Johnny O'Keefe, and and so there were fifties Australian rock stars, rock and roll stars, um, which just goes to show that uh, that that Australia was was being kept up to date with what was going on overseas like uh the uh, that the local scene picked things up very quickly move benton's mm-hmm. another one so these are all these are all names from the uh the, the late 50s and early 60s but the uh the kind of big uh band the kind of uh er rock band uh, of uh, of australian music has got to be the easy beats yes and and they had like I don't know like a good solid three or four albums uh, worth material, like uh, a good like four or five big hits. Friday on my mind, huge. Uh, yep, um, huge uh, here anyway. Yeah, probably yeah. top ten. wasn't a number one, I don't think, but yeah, it was a big hit. Yeah, um, sorry, I'll make you happy. Um, good times. Yeah, um, there's a song there's, I there's, there's a whole bunch. Probably the Maybe it was their second hit, or maybe it was two or three. It was 66, I think, Friday on my mind, wasn't it? So probably 68 time, 67, 68. A song called Hello, How Are You? Does that ring a bell to you? It, it was sort of Hello, does. How Are You? I'm sure, yeah. It wasn't a bad tune, but quite ballady, a lot of slower tempo than uh, than Friday on my mind. Yeah. I've got to say, um, uh, I... I uh, I went back and had another listen to "I'll Make You Happy" uh, yep. after um, stumbling across uh, Billy Davis's uh, uh, cover of the uh, late '60s cover of the early '50s R&B hit um, "I Want You to Be My Baby." Oh, it's got okay. this. Uh, it, it's got this kind of chant build up at the start of the verse. So it's "I I want I want you I yeah. want you to," and then it piles into the verse mm. and and the easy beats um uh basically wrote a like a kind of a song in response to that with um uh, i'll make you happy mm. uh, so they they use the same trick but uh it's like i i give i give you i give you love give you loving all the time so it's it's almost like it's it's a song written in in kind of answer to that um to that was that one post Friday on my mind, or was that before? Uh, I think it's contemporaneous, so I'm not sure okay. which came first. Um, but uh, around the same time, anyway. But then the Divinals 
covered the Easy Beats song, but uh, but Chrissy Amphlett's delivery is uncannily similar to Billy Davis's. It's really interesting. Really? The finals, um, that's a name. The Divinals, yeah. yeah. So so there there is a heritage there that I'll touch on a little bit later uh, with the producer. Um so anyway, the uh, the Easy Beats had Stevie Wright singing. Good shout out for the surname Wright, of course. He, he always um he always looks happy when he's singing his songs, doesn't he? I always thought yeah. he's always yeah. smiling. Yeah. That that sort of makes you enjoy the song more, doesn't it? Yeah, unlike, he, uh, unlike some uh, other artists we might come on to, but yeah, yeah, he, he had that, and, and and the rest of the band did too. Um, mm. uh, if you see any of the, uh, the 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 film clips uh, of them performing, in fact, um, one of the the things I get a kick out of watching them perform is that they're they're singing into uh, Sennheiser four twenty one microphones, which is uh, the microphone I've got right here at the moment. All right, okay. So there you go. This is my Easy Beats <laughs> microphone. That's your Easy Beats mic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, they uh, they split up around 1970 or so. They'd been to England, uh, had some success there. I think I don't know if they'd tried to crack America, um, but uh, uh, you know, whatever the case was, um, uh, the, uh, the the songwriting uh, team, George Young and Harry Vander. Uh, basically came back to Australia from um, from the uh, from the UK and the uh, the publishing company that they were tied in with uh, which was Alberts um, uh, who had been going since I don't know like the 20s or something they, they'd been around for decades um, and basically said uh, come and come and join us as our uh, in-house songwriting team and and they built a studio next door to a radio station or something uh, oh, really? might okay. have, they might have been like incorporated with the radio station or yeah. I, I don't know what the arrangement was um so uh that became the uh that the home base for for vander and young uh to uh, to start uh like, like releasing like producing and releasing new acts so they had a um a band called Ted Mullery Gang, and uh, the, the first uh, the first thing that they did, I think, was put together a a, a rocker uh, for their old pal Stevie, which was um, Evie, and it was yeah, this big, Evie. big big sweet yeah. parts one, two, and three. But the uh, the part one's this uh, this great rock track. Hmm. George George wrong. Then correct me if I'm wrong. George Young, I should say, um, older brother of Angus and Malcolm. That's right. Family okay. of nine. Um, uh, Ten dollar poms. Came, all, so came out. All born in Scotland, out. though, weren't they? Or, yeah. All yeah. Scottish. So, yeah. so the uh, the uh, immigration uh, deal that they had to get out to Australia, like ten dollars um, uh, fare to, uh, to to get out on the boat. So we got boatloads and boatloads of. Uh, of uh, uh, Brits, and in fact, I'm hmm. the uh, I'm, I'm the son of two of those. So my mother's Scottish, my father's English. So they they both came uh, out okay. under that program as well. Well, yeah, the same as me. My mum's Scottish, and and well, was Scottish. She's passed last year, uh, and my dad was English. Um, I was just looking up the Easy Beats in the, in the states. Yeah, uh, Friday on my mind was a number sixteen hit in 1967. We'll see a little bit later than that it was in the UK. And one other minor hit, if you call 100, 
a hit. I don't know. Probably getting a hot 100. Something called St. Louis. Show me the way to St. Louis. Yeah. Just, well, yeah, just says St. Louis, yeah. But it's yeah. a Vanda Young song. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Obviously did have minor success in uh, in the States. And, you know, I'm just going to double check. Oh, it opens up exactly the right page. Yeah. Hello. How are you? 1968. It was a number 20 hit in the uh, in the UK. There something you for you to dig out. Something for you to dig out. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, so uh, uh, Malcolm was uh, was uh, starting to put ACDC together at that point as well. So they, I think they that they, they had a uh, they had a song out uh, at the very start, um, a cover of uh, "Baby Please Don't Go." Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's not even the the full ACDC lineup. Bon Scott had just joined them, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it's uh, um, it's one of the uh, the fill in drummers that they had at the time, and it might be George Young on bass. Okay, and, and I actually heard that probably uh, within a few months of of the the song being out. It was a uh, it was on a compilation record uh, called Explosive Hits seventy five or something. Okay, uh, and it just you know jumps out at you like uh, mm. you know like a wildcat. It's mm. uh, it's such an electric track. Who was the original vocalist? Do we know that for ACDC before Bon Scott? Oh, Dave doesn't, Evans doesn't matter if you don't know. Yeah. It could be that. Yeah, I think it, I think it Dave yeah, Evans. That rings a bell. Dave Evans. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds Welsh. Uh, about. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, so so Bon had sung for the uh, the the Valentines. Uh, ah, that's where he was. And, oh, right, and okay. and had who had supported the Easy Beats uh, on at least one show, uh, maybe more. Um, that I know they supported them in Perth in the late sixties, mm-hmm. and and I think. Uh, when he went over to the UK in the early 70s. And that was something a lot of Australian artists did. Ross Wilson talked about it um, in, a, in an interview I saw recently, uh, how like they, they went over to see what was going on, you know, in, in like a, uh, outside of Australia, you know, which is really a very small country when it comes down to it. Um, and he, Bon Scott had already met... Um, uh, Brian Johnson and and seen Geordie before he even joined ACDC. So all of those like all connections were were, yeah. were all all there before, mm. but before ACDC ever came together, mm. which is really really interesting. Um, and but when when ACDC started uh, uh, like hitting their stride, everything happened very very fast very fast um like they had a big hit with long way to the top mm. um and uh and then they were just pumping out album after album and they after maybe the first year or two they were, they were constantly touring the UK and Europe they mm-hmm. were hardly back in Australia at all and then uh so th- like they they kind of hit their um uh their, their sweet spot with their sound with uh, the uh, let there be rock and power age albums and atlantic actually signed them after the first album like that's how quick things happened for them mm. and atlantic were complaining that their their sound wasn't fm or radio friendly enough mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and the i think it's the a and r guy whoever um uh lined up eddie kramer to work with them 
Mm-hmm. And and the sessions bombed. They hated it. So they sacked Eddie Kramer. The ANR guy got sacked. Um, and uh, you know, effectively, Vander and Young had been sacked as uh, as producers. That that must have been a hard hard uh, conversation to have. Like mm. They'd been nurturing and mentoring and producing them for like four or five albums, and then mm. the, uh, they got kicked the, out. The, yeah, the the big you know big international record label wanted them to do something different. Mm. So uh, their manager uh, found Mutt Langer, uh, who had done, you know, like, very little to that point. He wasn't a name like we know, like he's he's no, he's now a, a, yeah. he's a pro- production Producer. god now. Yeah, but uh, he kind of like Highway to Hell was probably his first real big hit. Um, I'm guessing seventy nine. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I think, I think that was Bon Scott's last album, wasn't it? That's right. That's right. So. Um, I don't know whether it's so, an yeah, appropriate but- time to ask this question because as obviously an ACDC fan, um, the $64,000 question, Bon Scott, Brian Johnson. If you had to, if you had I, yeah, to I did, I, yeah, Bon Scott. Twist your arm, yeah. Bon Scott. Bon, yeah. bon, or, or like, is, having is, said that. Is the correct answer, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like Brian Johnson as well, but Bon Scott was just, I don't know, his vocal was just... Look, he was um, he was such a character, and he he just had a uh, like a wealth of life experience that he 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 really brought to bear in in the songs. And actually, I, I will mention that something that uh, that that is distinctive in a, like a, a fair bit of uh, Australian songwriting is that um, incarceration theme. So mm-hmm. singing about being in jail and uh, and, and like that, like that danger. Mm. Uh, is is really missing from uh, from uh, contemporary music, like Rose Tattoo sang about it. Although they were kind of they were, they were a Vander and Young um, product as well. Uh, were they? No, I didn't know yeah. that. I know yeah. Rose Tattoo, but I didn't know they were uh, as Vander as were as were as were the Angels. No, they are not. Um, I'm not so familiar with the Angels. Okay, so the Angels are probably the quintessential Aussie pub rock band. Um, oh, okay. They, they, they never really. I don't think they ever really had much success outside of Australia. Although I, you know, I should be careful being so bold with uh, with such statements. But um, <laughs> uh, that they they were they were big here. But I I don't meet the many. Angels, I don't I don't no, talk to many people who who know them out outside of Australia. Outside of Australia, yeah. Are we talking? We're talking seventies, or we're talking eighties? Late, pub, late, late seventies, late seventies through to the mid eighties. See, I was a big pub rock fan um, here, but I mean here, we, I would I would think more mid seventies. It was sort of almost a precursor. Bands such as again, I'll throw some names at you, um, like Doctor Feelgood. Mm-hmm. Um, Graham Parker and the Rumor. Yep. Hey Lord, don't ask me questions. Hey Lord, don't ask me questions. Yeah, a couple of absolute classic first two albums. So it's Howling Wind and uh, Heat Treatment. Great albums, and um, they were and Brinsley Schwartz. You know that Nick Lowe's band. You know Nick Lowe. I know, I, I know Nick. You know Lowe. Nick Lowe, of course. Yeah, yeah. Who who went on to form. Um, Stiff Records, and uh, with with a loan from Lee Brillo of Dr. Feelgood, the, the vocalist of Dr. Feelgood, I think, actually. And, of course, went on to produce a lot of I mean, they produced the Damned's first album. Um, but it, it, as I started to say, it, 
the pub rock scene. Eddie and the Hot Rods, maybe. Do you know Eddie and the Hot Rods? Um, things like Teenage Depression, uh, almost a precursor to the sort of new wave, a punk and new wave that came in. And I don't know, as a, as a hard rocker, maybe you're like Nick and punk rock just whew, passed you by. And I don't even know whether it's successful in, in, uh, in Australia. Uh, we, we certainly did have a, a punk rock scene. Uh, I'm, uh, I have to admit that I'm I'm fairly biased against it. It was mm. I, I think it was probably more of an inner city thing, and I'm a suburban kid, mm. so well, that's uh, fair enough. But I was uh, I was aware of the birthday party and Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and the Saints. Um, uh, there were uh, there there was a scene in Sydney that like was possibly punk, but uh, we, we called it garage rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the big band in Sydney was the Hitmen. And they had a number of uh, alumni that, uh, that ended up in um, uh, other bands like Screaming Tribesmen and like the big, the, the big band that came out of that scene was the Hooter Gurus. Right. Okay. Uh, two names I've got written down here when I was doing a, a bit of research in the punks. But you, you mentioned the Saints. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they were considered like the Aussie punk pioneers, really. Well, they had they had a uh, a couple of big songs, "Stranded" and "Know Your Product." Unbelievably, um, well, had... I say I say big. Uh, like yeah. I, I only heard about them well after the fact. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get you. Um, they they weren't big. I mean, I don't think they had any hits here at all. But in in the punk scene, "Stranded." You mentioned "Stranded" by the Saints, uh, or was it "I'm Stranded"? one of the two, um, but that, I have a bit of a soft spot for that because it was one of the first, we had a DJ uh, on Radio 1, here, BBC Radio 1 called John Peel. He, he passed away probably over 10 years ago now, but he he played all these sort of bands when they first started playing, and he, he always used to play I'm, I'm Stranded by the Saints. It was almost one of the first real punky-type records that I'd heard. That new Rose by the Damned, obviously we had Anarchy in the UK around that time as well. Mm. Um, but The Saints, I'm Stranded, it's a great, I think it's a great song. Um, and also I love, they did a version, strange, a little punky version of a song that Connie Francis had a big hit with, which was Lipstick on My Collar, or Lipstick on Your Collar, sorry. Lipstick on Your Collar told a tale on you, yeah? Um, yeah, they did a version of that. But they, believe it or not, they've had fourteen albums. I was amazed when I when I read that. Uh, in fact, the last one was in twenty twelve. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I said they uh, they tried. They came over to uh, UK and as punk pioneers of Australia. But um, I, I don't think the, the the way they dressed really fitted into the sort of new wave. Uh, scene, if you like, that they kind of just had a, a yeah, yeah. That that they were probably not fashion aware at all. Uh, no by comparison. Yeah, no, they weren't. And other bands, um, you may well have heard of. You've meant. Did you mention the Survivors? Do you know the Survivors? I do not. They had a song called "Baby Come Back." Uh, the Leftovers. These these are all must be punk. Um, Brisbane punk. Are, are these all from Brisbane? I assume. Uh, I, you know, I have to, and, do, uh, yeah, you have to, yeah, yes, fair enough. 
Well, I'm glad I can throw some Australian acts at you that you, you haven't heard of. Uh, obviously, you mentioned the Hoodoo Gurus, um, uh, the Young Identities and the Screaming Tribesmen, and another band called Zero. Do you know them? Zero, Z-E-R-O. Do you say Z or do you say Z down under? Oh, we say Z. You say Z, okay. It's, it's just the Yanks who say Z. Yep, that's true. Okay. Um, but then, you know, they've got some truth in what, you know, this ABC song you're singing, it doesn't make sense. We never Z at the end, does it? Um, and then they changed the name to Zero with an X, and two of the members uh, went on to join um, the Go-Betweens. Uh-huh, yep. Don't ask me me who they were but it, it wasn't um uh robert forster or grant mcclennan um but yeah we're going to the saints uh acdc pub rock we're, we're around the pub rock scene Do you, yeah. what happened next so, Anything? well yeah um so you had around that time in the in the mid 70s uh you you had like tv shows like countdown and sounds you had uh these compilation lps that were an australian specialty like, mm-hmm. uh, like maybe two or three a year that had like all the hits of the day, uh, oh. like both local and like American and, and, and British hits. Original artists on those, were they? Yes, that's right. Okay, yeah, and, that and didn't like, really start here till properly. Uh, I suppose KTEL came in with a few uh, mid-70s, but in the earlier part, we had these really fake, they were called Top of the Pops albums on Music for Pleasure or something like that label. And these were like uh, just backing musicians and singers, just doing versions of chart songs. Yeah, which no, is quite these, weird. They, these, these were like uh, these were like edgy, racy, you know, uh, proper like current. Yeah, yeah, okay. current, uh, like current pop and, and rock stuff. Um, and with, you know, some with cheesecake album covers and mm. the whole bit. Um, and and uh, the the culture like the that that um, that all this music arrived in was uh, w- was this sort of young predominantly male beer drinking kind of cohort that went you know wanted to go out and uh, and basically hear uh, dreadfully loud music and music, and, get, yeah. and get smashed and mm-hmm. um, and it was massive and and the bands would would, would basically uh you know like have this trial by fire on stage like you had to you had to appease these heathens and you had to do it <laughs> in in a certain way it became uh so you, you you basically had to kind of punch hard with the music and, and they would let you know if you were doing it right because the 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 dance floor would clear if yeah. you I- introduced a new a new song that and they thought it didn't groove mm-hmm. um, okay. so it was it was it was um it was thriving. Uh, it was kind of brutal, but that was that was the the, the pub rock scene, and so that the early heyday was the the mid to late seventies, and and the bands um, that that were around then were uh, Sherbet and Skyhooks. Okay, so Sherbet had been around since the early seventies, and and they were self produced, which is really interesting, and and mm. and they had a really polished sound, like they could craft a song. And and then Skyhooks were produced by Ross Wilson of uh, of uh, I almost said Mondo Rock. Um, that was his eighties act. Uh, Daddy Cool. <laughs> Daddy Cool. So okay. Guy, so the I guy who it, wrote Eagle Rock produced Skyhooks. I hadn't I hadn't heard of Daddy Cool if I'm honest, but I know you you, you did this playlist uh, the other day, and I took a listen to it all. 
And I actually like the Daddy Cool one. It sounded quite, um, whether that's indicative of their style, I don't know. It sounded quite country. Uh-huh. It was, it was uh, probably uh, like there, there was a, a 50s kind of throwback thing. Uh, like there was a bit of doo-wop yeah. they could all sing. Maybe, yeah. You, you, uh, I didn't put Eagle Rock on the, uh, on the playlist because I figured you'd already heard Eagle Rock. That was mm. their big hit. Okay, so if you haven't, um, listen, yeah, go, dig it go, out. Go dig it Eagle, out. Yeah, Eagle yeah. Rock. Eagle Rock's a great, great track. Okay. Um, but they were kind of reacting to what was the inner city kind of uh, arty rock scene at the time, which they found very pretentious. And they like they started they 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 were a reactionary band, and okay. uh, and they, they they had they they had a couple of hits very quickly and and um, produced uh, like two or three very successful albums. Well, punk rock in the UK was very reactionary, wasn't it? It was very against the 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 norm, the long guitar solos, the long hair. Um, yeah. uh, but the, but uh, if you think yeah. of, if you think about it, punk didn't actually. I mean, it was it was a reaction, but uh, like it didn't uh, it didn't affect that scene. Like no, it didn't. Not but, at all. It's, it was no. a completely different scene. I mean, they, yeah. you know, the people like as Nick would always say because he's a big he's a big prog rock fan, a prog rock fan, a big Yes fan. Um, you know, he would say like in the middle of that punk era, he'd say, and I, and I would say the punk era didn't really last that long as the punk sort of developed into new wave, and and that I think a lot of things were new wave. I mean, I used to love the punk and a new wave, um, but I was always more into the music than than the fashion. I, mean, I wouldn't be, you know, wearing safety pins and and leather and stuff, um, but I did like I did like a lot of the music. It was short. Kids could go and, I mean, they weren't necessarily great musicians. They weren't great vocalists all the time, but it was the feel of the songs. And, of course, bands like Elvis Costello and the Attractions and the Boomtown Rats, the Jam, the, the Buzzcocks, all of these sort of bands originated um, out of out of what punk uh, created. But it's interesting you mentioned Sherbet because I wouldn't – are you putting them in the pub rock field or – was yeah, look, I mean, they had they had a couple of a uh, couple of hits. how's that? that how's that was yeah how's that probably that? a big hit yeah yeah so I was I would call that more well just more pop really more um, trying to think when it was was it seventies or was it eighties so it, but so this is mid seventies before like yeah, okay. before before the pub rock sounded kind of hardened mm. so that happened that happened more around seventy eight so another another pub rock band was uh, was a bunch of uh, New Zealanders. Uh, called Dragon, and they started off okay. as an aggressive progressive rock band, moved over to Australia in about well, 75, 76 or so, and were uh, were picked up by a producer slash A&R guy by the name of Peter Dawkins, who was also a Kiwi expat. He mm-hmm. came over, got um, got a job with uh, EMI, um, did, did a few... Um, did a few things and then basically um, took Dragon under his wing and did about three or four albums for them. And they had um, they had a number of um, uh, like pretty successful uh, hits uh, through the the mid to late seventies. Um, and and then around seventy eight seventy nine, so a couple of things happened. One was um, that uh, Mark Opitz, who was like an engineer uh, at Alberts under Vander and Young, they they gave him the second Day Angels album to produce. And uh, and he basically uh, devised or, or captured a uh, like a, a 
like a, a, an aggressive guitar tone uh, that, that became the Angels' kind of signature sound and then suddenly all the other bands wanted it. So Mark Opitz ended up uh, straight away uh, uh, doing Cold Chisel's first album, uh, which had K-San, massive hit in Australia, like just a, um, yeah, like a, like that's very, very deep in our cultural psyche, that one. And uh, he might have he done maybe three or four albums for Cold Chisel. Uh, so the, the, the lion's share of their career. Um, he did a, 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 the third album for In Excess. Um, he, yeah, uh, there's, there's a bunch. So, like, they're, they're kind of all second-generation children of, of the Vander and Young hit factory, if okay. you will. Okay, yeah. Um, See, and then, and then Pete, uh, sorry, so I'll cool. just tr- retrace and go back yeah. to Peter Dawkins. Yeah. Um, he, uh, after, after he did Dragon, uh, he did uh, um, uh, the, the first Air Supply album, uh, which is why I included that track on the playlist. That was the very first hit that Air Supply did. And I think it's a really interesting song. Like they take a lot of chances with their songwriting in that one. It's not just kind of simple and syrupy. There's some uh, mm. like that, like that chorus is just absolutely killer, but you could, you can hear how ambitious they were just like right out of the gate. Um, were they a duo or was it a band as such? Was it? I think, well, I think they were a band. They were a band. Okay. I mean, they they probably they probably must have been a band at least at the start. Yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah, and and then Peter Dawkins did uh, did the second Australian Crawl album. He did uh, and, and he did uh, My Sex Computer Games, which is like an early kind of. Uh, synthesize a new wave. Yeah, I think uh, I heard that one. Of, so that was so that there were basically two two main tracks, which is the the kind of like the hard rock, the lean <laughs> stripped down hard rock that uh, that uh, that the Angels were kind of the avatars of, and mm-hmm. then there are all these bands that wanted to like capture the uh, that the new kind of um, like electronic sound that they were they were hearing, particularly out of the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so. We're talking eighties now, are we? So now, yeah, you're crossing over into the uh, into yeah, the yeah. 80s, and probably the, the first examples of uh, importing that talent was uh, Ice House got Keith Forsey. Like, so Ice House had that sound already, like mm. in, like with their their first uh, their first single in 1980 uh, was "Can't Help Myself," mm-hmm. and that, that back when they. That they were actually called the Flowers, and then some other <laughs> band was called the Flowers, and they had so had they to change they, it. So they that the first album was called Ice House, and they went, well, we'll call ourselves Ice House, and the album <laughs> name can be Flowers. Oh, really? So that's that's how they became Ice House. That's um, weird. So the second album was produced by Keith Forsey, who had okay. done, um, oh God, what Billy Idol, if I'm. Correct. I'm thinking. Yeah. So it's a vague bell. Yeah, it rings a vague bell. Yeah. He 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 did a like he did a bunch of um uh uh like that that new wave stuff in the um in the eighties. Um, so Ice House were quite interesting. So they were quite they were quite poppy, weren't they? Quite um, but had a bit of an edge to them, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Great songwriter. And, and, and they and crossed over. Crossed over. Had. Had a, a couple of fairly big hits here in the UK when I say here, and um, I believe in the States as well. Uh, trying to think what they were called. Was it Hey Little Girl? Was that Ice House? Yep, that's Ice House. And uh, Crazy and yep. Electric Blue, I think, yep. were both 
they were they were certainly the latter two were certainly big hits here um maybe in the states as well yeah i think so, electric blue was around about yeah, it must have been the late 80s i yeah, seem 86, to remember 687 man the man of colors album yeah uh, it maybe it was a latter latterly released single or maybe it was just beyond because i remember we went to the states on our honeymoon in 88 and you know they're always when we always go over there there's always a song that reminds us of that uh in, in this case a, a honeymoon but the vacation or holiday whatever you want to call it and one of the songs we heard incessantly was electric blue by uh by ice house yeah good song yeah. good song yeah. So uh, the other the other uh, British producer that uh, that did big things with Australian artists was a guy called Nick Lornay, who had done uh, Killing Joke and a couple of other early Killing Joke and a couple of other things. And I think the first Australian band to work with him might have been Midnight Oil with the Ten to One album. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the songs off that U.S. Forces and Power and the Passion were were. were kind of big big hits uh, locally i mean i remember covering those two songs in my very first band when i was 15 okay so, like we, we were into it you're um, in the midnight oil. But, well we, we we couldn't yeah 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 they they kind of had this uh they they, they had this like led zeppelin prog rocky sensibility about their uh, their guitar work in particular and mm. um rob hurst is is uh quite highly regarded uh, uh like a drummer mm-hmm so, yeah, uh, good, yeah. Good the mid, mid, midnight all were, were were very popular among the kids. That's for sure. Um, very patriotic uh, band, I seem to remember. Yeah, well, I, I mean that they were um, that they were kind of overtly left political and very kind of anti-American imperialism, and okay. Um, so that there was a lot of that in their songs as well. But they're they're also great observers of of just kind of uh, like culture and suburban life and that's like like that's part of the the, the aussie rock tradition is like that sort of social observation mm. uh, Austra- australian crawl beautiful people like it does the same thing um but nick lorne then worked with the models um uh what was the song that uh, i hear motion um that was their first big real electronic song and then uh the bulk of in excess's uh breakthrough album um uh what is it the swing so mm-hmm. Nile, Nile Rogers produced uh the uh the 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 lead uh the lead off track which was um original sin and uh and it's quite quite funny the story about that one they they just roll up and like have a have a like a a a bash through the track just not really paying attention to what they're doing and, and Nile Rogers goes yep that's do. a wrap <laughs> And so you've got this kind of kooky, like uh, off kilter start with little, like uneven kind of section lengths and stuff ding, before it breaks ding, in. Ding. Yeah, yeah. And, and then and that's it. And, and it oh, works. I can hear it's, that now. Yeah, yeah. It, it works. It's great. I love. I, I love some some of the best story. things are created by accident. I was saying this to yeah. someone the other day. I can't remember whom, but um, yeah, some of the things that are just just happen. Um, I think I know what it was. We were talking about um, with uh, style last week on the Elvis. Show we did a uh, show on Elvis. He's a self-confessed Elvis fanatic. Um, trying to get him to stick to six songs of Elvis was was tricky. I must admit, but that's all right. It was a bit like that. The first song they recorded, they were just jamming around, and uh, yeah, it was just sounded great. Yeah, good groove. We'll have that. As you say, like that's a wrap. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think I've touched on most of the kind of significant uh, like acts and developments uh, at least up up until the 80s. Uh, mm-hmm. In the 90s, things uh, got weird. Um, <laughs> For, for, I mean, for, for a number of reasons, which uh, would probably be boring to go into at this point. Yeah, I think yeah. uh, like the stuff that's quintessentially Australian, mostly or, or like like that uh, that have kind of stayed solid in the in the cultural psyche. Like most of it had had already happened by the eighties. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, the nineties were. Um, I mean, it, it, musically, I'm often saying this. I mean, I, I'm a great seventies man. Um. I just think seventies was was the greatest decade for for music, rock music. I, certainly, I'm with you. I'm totally with um, you. On that. But obviously, it's just my age. But I mean, the, the, just the, the the quality, the songwriting, the 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 art of songwriting in singles was just and, spot and the pro- on. the production. Uh, uh, Bill Schnee, um, Steely Dan's engineer, or mm. yeah. I think one of one of the one of the Steely Dan engineers um, basically says the same thing, uh, but from the production side, he says, you know, that the, the quality, you know, of the of the, uh, the, the the equipment and the 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 performances that they could capture, like uh, like artistically, technically, everything was at its peak in the late seventies to early eighties, and then mm. after that, you know, it, yeah, I mean, eighties for me, eighties. You hinted on it earlier on when you were talking about all these bands. Um, it did go more electronic. It went more um, synth pop. Which, I mean, here we're talking Depeche Mode, and uh, uh, which the uh, audiences well, loved. They loved a new sound, but it was a mistake. It was a wrong turn. Yeah. Okay. I don't mind. You see, I look back and I think, yeah. I mean, I'm not. It's all about comparisons, really, isn't it? I think it, it, the trouble is something will come out. You think, yeah, that's not that bad. Um, but in fact, it's it's nowhere near as good as what was happening in the seventies. But I mean, had the seventies not appeared, then you just listened to stuff in the eighties. Yeah, well, I mean, you look bad. at you look at what bands are doing now, and they're they're not trying to recapture what happened in the eighties. They're trying to recapture what happened in the seventies. Nobody nobody uh, does an album where they try to put in Fairlight drums that that uh, might sound like real drums, just really mm. beefy, real drums to, to, you know, an uneducated listener. They're tr- like, mm. if they're going with real instruments, they're going with an authentic kind of, you know, like capture of a drum kit, the way you did in the seventies. Mm. Like did, the eighties, the eighties aesthetic hasn't lasted. The eighties. No, the, the, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big collector of vinyl, seven inch singles. And I, I, I did collect a lot over the decades. Um, loads obviously i wasn't old enough in the 60s i had a few she loves you was the first single i ever had but i was only about four at the time it was given to me hard day's night was the first album um we'll come on to that in a second actually my second album which might come on to my uh, one of my bands i was going to talk about my first album was Susie quattro can the can oh wow <laughs> Susie quattro now now i <laughs> I, I wouldn't. My lips are sealed any further than this. But I have shared a jacuzzi with Susie Quattro. <laughs> she no lives. <laughs> she lives very locally. She lives very locally to here. Um, but yeah, Susie Quattro, the uh, <laughs> bassist. Yeah, she was the bass player. That's right. And appeared in Happy Days. Yeah, she was a very handy bass player, actually. Uh, what's the um, the, the song uh, uh, "Get Back, Mama"? 
on, on the on the first album. She takes oh. a she takes a bass solo. Check it a, out. A deep cut. See, I'm thinking of Can the Can, 48 Crash, Devil Gate Drive, you know, the big, the big hits. Um, I did get an email through the other day. She's touring again next year. I, I did suggest to my wife, we could maybe go to that. So maybe we won't. Go to any gigs these days, it's a, it's a privilege. We've missed out on so many. You had so many lined up during lockdowns. Um, and we've got a few coming up. We've got Genesis coming up next month. Um, Delamitri, uh-huh, yep. they're a Scottish band, yeah. Yes, um, yes, I, I, I quite like them. And, yeah, they're a good band. Uh, Underrated. Kiss, kiss this and goodbye. Yeah. Kiss this and goodbye, and a, a great song called "Nothing Ever Happens," That's very right. politically uh, motivated song. And um, yeah, seeing Elton at the end of the year as well. We, we I think we bought those tickets about ten years ago. <laughs> when we bought them, I thought, "What are these for?" They're for like three years away when we bought them. And then we've had lockdown after lockdown, it keep getting postponed. So hopefully we'll go and see them or see him. Uh, we've got a few next year, Guns N' Roses, Aerosmith, some of these little bands you might have heard of. Yeah. I, I don't know how big these bands are in Down Under, as they say. Well, pretty much as big as they are over there now. Like yeah. with the, uh, yeah. How, how did the 90s go over there, I mean, and we talk about the eighties, and it was it was all um, computers, uh, blow dried hair, and you know, wind machines, um, and 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 overly overly basing all the music on how it's production wise and fake, as you say, maybe fake drums and stuff. Well, I, I do have probably more singles from the eighties than I have any other decade. Funny enough which is a bit odd because I'm a 70s fan. Um, but it's more a case of uh, quantity over quality, I would say. The yeah. 90s, however, here at least, went back to sort of guitar bands more. We had the Britpop scene. I don't know whether that sort of ventured down Very to... Very much so. Yep, it, Oasis it, and Blur. Yep. Oasis and Blur, the big battle between Oasis and Blur and Pulp and the Stone Roses... Uh, and the Lars cast the Verve, a lot of bands like that. Yeah, uh, they were big in the nineties, and I, I, um, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's one there's one that I really like that's missing from that list. I'm trying to think. It was Supergrass. Supergrass, of course. Yeah. Oh, my mate Graham will be upset for me for getting Supergrass. I think they're his favourite band um, of that era, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, and maybe we shouldn't venture into the twentieth century, twenty-first century. I don't know. Well, look, I, I, you know, like we we had Jet and the Vines and Wolf Mother basically recycling seventies rock. Um, I I don't think they they really did much. Like they kind of ran out, ran out of things to say pretty quickly, and that's that's like if there's a uh, wow, just trying to think is is there a big rock band that's had a kind of like a, a consistent storied career look Coldplay I, I, I like I'm thinking in like in like in Australian terms, oh Australian bands so, yeah. um, like there, there was Powderfinger but I, I always thought that, yeah. they were, that they were kind of thin on the ground with their their song ideas I never like I almost liked what they did <laughs> but it, it was I was just waiting for I was just waiting for them to get just a little bit more 
interesting or daring or something and it never really happens. So I'm not a fan of powder finger. I, I, I don't understand their appeal. I think, well, if I'm being uncharitable, I'll say that they were popular because they were all we had. They're okay. all that was um, the living ends were, were pretty good. But again, like that, they were kind of this uh, like rockabilly slash um, sort of pop punk thing. And that wasn't, that wasn't my thing exactly either, but uh, I mean, that they are a great band. What about uh, Finch? Do you know them? Another rock band. I thought of the Powder Finger. Don't know them. I remember looking through. I saw my iTunes library uh, the other day, and I, I got an album by Finch. I didn't know they were Australian, but yeah, a very rock band, a uh, very rocky band. Um, a lot of these other ones here you've already mentioned. Um, apart from, which is one I missed off. If I was going to put a list together. I took them out only because really they've only had, I believe, three albums, and that's Men at Work. Yeah, look, I, I mean, they down, down under was practically their like their first or second single. Like they had that, they had that in the can right at the start, which was just incredibly fortunate. Right at the time when Australia was like right up in the uh, in the you know the the the, uh, the attention of America. Yeah. Uh, they were just eating alive anything Australian, and uh, and they just fixated on men at work with this kind of like uh, weird little song about how people don't really get what Australia is about. <laughs> and it was yes, they did well. Like I mean, so the the that, the guys who sued them didn't even own the rights to the song uh, that it was plagiarized from at the time the song was written. Okay, oh, really? so it was. <laughs> so Kookaburra Sits uh, on the Old Gum Tree was written um, uh, by this uh, woman in the Girl Guides back in the early 30s. And she okay. she bequested the, uh, the, the song to the Girl Guides organization. And in the late 80s or 90s or something, uh, they did some, uh, some managerial housekeeping and said, let's just sell off this, you know, that, like this property you know to a publishing house mm-hmm. and then and then the, uh, the similarity the resemblance came up in a uh, in a in a tv trivia show called spicks and specs okay. um and and suddenly the, the publishing company you know, like uh, antennas were oh what there's money to be made so they took it to court and uh, and won which i think it was a uh look so the um that the the, the that the lines of the melody are kind of interspersed. So it's like, it's the second bar and the fourth bar mm. uh, of the, the, the down under riff down under that, song, that, yeah. are, that are, that are taken from uh, the, the original song. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I think it could just as easily have been thrown out and go, some of these, go, some of these like lawsuits. Like that. The, yeah. And, I, I, dodgy. I don't, I don't get it. A lot of them to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah I, I think it was a, uh, yeah. Well, Kind of, yeah, business, business vultures, yeah, circling a, you know. Now you you mentioned spicks and specks there in some vague uh, reference That's earlier right, on, yeah. um, which which sort of brings me on to a band which I've I've had to include in my list. We we missed the Bee Gees. The Bee Gees, indeed, yeah. Um, born on the Isle of Man in the UK, I believe, um, but did emigrate to uh, Australia. Uh, it, well, when they were I don't know, six or seven years old. I don't think they were very old, were they? 
but they they did form and had their first records in Australia, didn't they? Or they formed a band over there anyway. Look, I I haven't researched this, and no. I don't I don't remember. Like I like they had um uh like uh well they obviously had spicks and specks and uh, the was it the New York mining disaster New York mining disaster yeah. in 1941 yeah that's like that, that that's catchy a, title yeah yeah right that was so their debut that, hit here right there you go so they uh 67 like they had they had an end with uh, with Britain obviously um and then you know the whole disco thing starting with uh, yeah. I don't know what um jive talking I think sort of started exactly. it off didn't it yeah uh, like by that point, I don't think they were even in Australia anymore, and no. uh, and that was that that was really when they became superstars. So, I think of them as an American act. Okay, which which may be a bit a uh, bit bit mean of me, but um, I'm not like, sure that I would. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. But I'm probably more concerned than a British act than an American act, actually. But I know what you mean. They sort of like redefined I, I, disco music, didn't they? With their Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. In whatever it was, 77, 78 time. Um, and then suddenly everything in the charts was disco. I think, yeah. I think one year in the US, I think every every song in the chart, every number one throughout the year was like a disco song, disco related. Perhaps the knack from my, uh, my Sharona over that time was outside of that, but that was about it. Yeah. Um, but the Bee Gees, I sort of had to include them because they had so such success. Um Look, there's there's another there's another Australian uh, act that's kind of in a similar boat. They're a little bit later. Little River Band. Ah I yes, know, yeah. I know them. I know of them. Yeah. Um, so they, they they had the uh, they had the Crosby, Stills and Nash harmonies. I say and a bit that, folky, and weren't that, they? Well, it was more kind of like smooth West Coast pop rock kind of sound. Okay, fair enough. Um, and like they they were huge in the states, uh, and. To be yeah. fair, they had they had some really like cracking hits here. Um, Help is on its way, probably the biggest one. Um, uh, yeah, I've got that written down here somewhere. Uh-huh. Yeah, they only uh, had. I, so, I'm not sure they had any hits here. To be honest, it was it was more America than here. Yeah, so they they were one of those kind of like American success stories are you know uh, like few and few and far between for the most part. It's, uh, um, it's it's a pretty pretty tough uh, tough ask, but uh, but Little River Band, Little River Band kind of cast themselves uh, at the at the American audience pretty much from the get go. They knew what they were doing. Like they were they were mostly self produced, as far as I know. And 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 the guitarist David Briggs actually uh, discovered and produced the first Australian Crawl album. Okay. In in the late seventies. And uh, yeah, so they uh, uh, Glenn Shark had been in um in a a band in the early seventies called Axiom, who had okay. a, a local hit uh, called "A Little Ray of Sunshine," um, and yeah, so th- like there were a bunch of guys who had been around. They knew what they wanted. They knew they knew how to go about their, their business, and and yeah, they uh, they did a very good job of it. Seventeen albums they've had between seventy five and twenty twenty. Well, they lost control of the band because they that the, all the band members started dropping out, and oh, the, the last the last the last man standing wasn't even an original member, and he oh, somehow ended, ended up that. with all of, ended up with the name and all the rights, oh. and yeah. Oh, I dislike that. It happens, uh, and well, maybe a similar thing with Men at Work because Men at Work only had three hours, but I think Colin Hayes still driving, driving strong, going strong as Men at Work, but I don't think I, any of the original band members are there. It's all like a supporting. 
musicians or whatever. Yeah, I, I I'd be surprised if that was the case. I think he's he's well known enough by his own name that everyone like if he went out as men at work, everyone would know. Oh, that's it's Colin. It's Hay. Colin Hay. Yeah. Yeah. So he probably um, like I've seen him perform. Uh, at a folk festival under his own name, actually, Port Ferry. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got an album, a solo album by him um, mm-hmm. called Are You Looking At Me? Uh, good good album. Good album. I like his voice. Such a rich voice that he's got. Yeah. He's a but Scott, they, Yeah, but, but Scott. no, like they, they had a couple of big hits, but they weren't they weren't anywhere near as big or as prolific as, you know. Midnight Oil. Uh, oh, yeah. Or, or like I think the Hoodoo Gurus probably had more hits I don't know mm. if the Hoodoo Gurus ever had a number one Nothing. hit, but there's yeah. there's more songs in the kind of the you know the 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 Aussie rock playlist that you know would, would probably be Hoodoo like uh, Men at Work's contributions are Overkill, um, Who Can It Be Now, Who Can It Be Down Now, Under. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do- that's that's, uh, that, that's all I can think of. I can think of uh, Doctor Jekyll and is it Doctor? No, Doctor. Oh yes, that's right. Oh, and there was also Be Good Johnny. So oh, then, yeah, big yeah, Johnny has someone. I was a little, little uncharitable there. So. <laughs> I, I understand. Um, you're forgiven. Um, okay, so if I've got anyone else here on my list, I did mention earlier on. Um, talk about the hard days night being my one album in the '60s. One other album I had um, that I remember was the best of the Seekers. Funnily enough. Um, and you know, obviously, my mum and dad bought it, but I used to love their songs, and I would say they were probably one of the first Australian acts to 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 make it big in certainly Britain, but also in America. They had hits too. Um, I mean, I'll never find another you. Uh, World of our own. Carnival is over. Morning Town Ride. Georgie Girl. You name all those. A lot of. Big hits, but more on the pop folk uh, field, I must admit. Yep. Um, I, I have to admit, I can't stand Georgie Girl. <laughs> you can't stand Fair enough. I can't stand it. Is, it. is it the whistling you don't like at the start? Oh, maybe? I don't know. No, I'm, I'm, of, of all the Seeker songs, that's probably not my favourite, but I, I do like certainly the first uh, two or three. I'll never, I'll never find another you. Um, okay, uh, what time have we got? Ooh. Probably getting close to the end of the end of the show, I would have thought. But uh, I, I mentioned another band here that you haven't mentioned. Um, did we mention the Go Betweens? They're on my list. Yeah, uh, we we did touch on them. Um, they're they're one of these. Uh, I like. I don't know what you would call them. Sort of indie, indie rock yeah, bands, it, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's maybe. probably the best way. Um, I, I don't, don't really feel know it. Yeah, don't really know much about them. Didn't like they weren't really a fixture on the radio I was listening to. Probably the the like triple double J triple J like the youth radio mm. uh, that uh, that that dominated so much of the the nineties kind of uh, um, uh, scene. Um, They've had nine albums actually, amazingly. Yeah, um, it's, but it's yeah, it's a weird one. Like I. I can't really comment much on them. No, fair enough. No, no, Streets of Streets of Your Town was the first song that I got into, but I know that was uh, their only real hit here, and I think even that was much of a hit. In fact, I, uh, interest, interestingly, it was a number sixty-eight hit in Australia, but a number thirty hit in New Zealand. See, I I didn't have much time for for bands that didn't have guitar solos. Oh, fair and, enough. Uh, yeah, 
Does that mean crowded house aren't up your on your list at all? That's that's what it means. Yeah, crowded crowded house were another one of those bands like uh, Split Ends had had this uh, you know pretty uh, pretty good run through the uh, like the first half of the eighties, like lots of really great pop rock hits uh, <laughs> from from the time that Neil Finn joined and uh, had the massive hit with I Got You. That was yeah. absolutely huge. And then there's you know probably maybe six or seven or eight other songs they had that uh, that were just great great like really, really good songwriters. And so by the time uh, they dissolved and Neil Finn formed Crowded House and... I'm, I'm in Australia. Sure that, it wasn't in Australia. They didn't know they were Kiwis, yeah? Uh, the Finn, two, of them, the Finn two, two of them are Kiwis. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, um, One Aussie, uh, maybe? Yeah, the Seymour guy, the... Um, what's his name? Uh, the bass player. Uh, anyway, um, they pretty much went straight for America or at least they were, they were, they, they hit, you know, success in America pretty much straight away. And so mm. they're kind of like an international band, if, if you will. I'm not sure if that they, they had much kind of parochial affiliation with Australia or even, I don't know, maybe, maybe the Kiwis, you know, hold them close to their hearts, but I don't, yeah, it, that's another band that I don't particularly think of as Australian, whereas Split Ends, I think of as an Australian success story, because this is, you know, this is where they were based, uh, you know, um, See, and, had, and had their hits. I thought Split Ends were, were more New Zealand than Australia. That they was... were. They were. They were a New Zealand band. Yeah, they were. They were okay, a... fair enough. Um, okay, but, uh, but that that might be. Yeah, that that might be a bit sort of kind of greedy of me as well. Um, maybe I should be thinking about them as a New Zealand band that just you know had a you know had a, a big run of success in Australia. Same way that yeah. ACDC did in Britain or something. Yeah, yeah, I must admit, I do like a bit of Crowded House. I think Neil Finn went on to, um, I think I'm right in saying, took over from Lindsay Buckingham, didn't he, on the Fleetwood Mac tours? That's right. Yeah. Um, just seen a note on message board from Barbie saying, my dad had the hots of Susie Quattro. Yeah, he's probably wasn't on his own, I would have thought there. No, well, yeah. Brief, briefly then, if you just... Run through. I know you probably mentioned them all, but like a top six. Have you got like? Can you give me six artists? So these six big Australian bands. Well, ACDC has to be at the top. These are like your favourites, are they? Or are they just? No, these the, these are what I think are the are the big the, bands. Okay. Like most, uh, like significant, most important. Mm-hmm. Yep. This ACDC um, in excess. Course, um, even yeah. though like so in excess like i think of as um like a, a funk pop band mm. like that like a, they could flex they, they could flex on rock which they did you know one time in their career with don't change which is my favorite track of theirs produced by mark opitz okay again talked about earlier yeah uh but yeah they did that one flex and then went okay no you know we're not really going to do this we want to we want to do the um the, the the pop thing and be superstars which okay did. Absolutely did. Little River Band, I, I you know, like we're, we're a big success story. They and great, great artist, really. Uh, mm-hmm. Cold Chisel, who I had, had barely talked about, but uh, like just incredibly just, talented. They're like they're like Billy, like a, like a hard rock Billy, Billy Joel in, in a five piece group. So they had oh, really? uh, they had Is that Jimmy Barnes band. Jimmy Barnes, Ian oh, yeah, Moss yeah, okay. on guitar, like bona fide guitar hero in the mold of like Dave Gilmore and oh, like uh, Mark Knopfler. 
like okay. great, you know, technically good, you know, really good guitarist. Mm. Um, and Don Walker, who was just a uh, like just a supremely talented songwriter and lyric writer, just could write great stories. And and everyone in the band could write. They all had top ten hits. Every single one of them. Oh, I thought. See, I thought Queen were the only band that could say that. Yeah. You know, so, they all yeah, number Col- one hits, I think, of them. And, and uh, a f- absolutely ferocious live band. They were, they were just uh, a, like a great, great live act. And yet, in the UK, I mean, you say Cold Chisel, but yeah, no, I, I, I'd have to look up. Got, I'd have to look them up. Yeah. Yep. And, and they, were, Weird, they, were a pro- they were a product of that pub rock scene and probably mm. – unfairly maligned by the the pub rock image and associations like the angels like are really minimalist and acdc are also quite minimalist and so there is this reputation for australian pub rock to be minimalist and mm. cultural is none of that their stuff is dis- really deceptively complex okay uh there's a lot going on in cultural songs that you would never like even guess at unless you you know you know, you, you you know how to you know pick out chord changes and 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 you can you can hear what's going on and then you suddenly go, well, hang on, F sus sharp four, what the hell is that? You know, like they, <laughs> like, but because they're a product of the Australian pub rock scene, I, I just don't think anyone really got them. But they are just a like a an incredibly underrated band massive the, massive talent. of course the beatles used to come up with these rare chords as well that no one had really ever heard of right? um they they were a mate well we won't go into the beatles anyway cold chisel yeah so number four yep. yep so uh i have to uh i have to count john farnham oh as, as you're the voice of, that's right so i mean that was that was a huge hit for us obviously um mm. And he'd been around forever. Like he'd had hits in the like early seventies at least. I'm not sure how much earlier than that. But um, uh, he he uh, had a had a crack at relevance in the late seventies with a cover of uh, John Lennon's Help. Okay. He, he did a version of Help. You might be curious to look up. Uh, mm. And then. Uh, resurfaced a few years later as Glenn Shorrock's replacement in Little River Band. Mm-hmm. A couple of songs he sang. Uh, uh, did he sing The Other Guy? Can't remember if that was him or not, but he definitely sang Playing to Win. Uh, and then that was that, that was pretty much the tail end of uh, Little River Band, at least the you know the involvement of the original band members. Yeah. And uh, and then Whispering Jack and You're the Voice came out a couple of years later and he had a run of about three or four albums right into the 90s and has been a, a regular live draw card um, yeah, for years. He, that he's, uh, he's infamous for, uh, for calling farewell tours and then coming back out. But, uh, oh, but like, like status quo. <laughs> yeah. They've done that. And it's the 24th final tour from status quo. Uh, yeah. John Farnham says, so not just You're the Voice, there's a lot of other stuff going to have to dig out to have a listen to and then finally if you can manage the six one yeah so six one is is tough but um i'll go with jimmy barnes solo just because uh he w- he was bigger on his own than he was with cold chisel um he had a couple of big hits uh working class man no second prize good times uh, with it and then uh, yeah, he did that with, with uh, yeah, yeah, duet, with an excess. Yeah, that's right. 
um, mm. which is a cover of the Easy Beats. So, like yeah, circling yeah. back, paying yeah, okay. you know, paying tribute to the heritage. We they like to both, circle back. Keep it. Right. Yeah, they 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 both uh, they both had uh, worked with Mark Opitz, who was Van, you know Vander and Young's protege. So the mm. connection connection was Straight right there. Around, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and then he pivoted to a, a kind of uh, white soul kind of. Uh, style in the uh, in the early nineties. Uh, he, I don't know how much he did, but uh, he he had a pretty big, uh, a pretty big hit with at least one of his albums in that uh, in that vein, and did a duet with John Farnham when something is wrong with my baby, which is uh, just a, a like a, a pyrotechnic vocal showcase. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's incredible stuff. I could. So that's that's my six. That's uh, your six. You- well, I'll Have give you, you mine, but you've probably been hinted at them uh, already anyway. Um, obviously, ACDC are in there. Um, yeah. Now, I put Midnight Oil in there. Mm. Um, I do love, um, I do love, I can't believe how many albums they'd had. Oh, the album I was looking at with things like, um, I think it was Earth, the Sun and the Moon. I think that was the name of the album. But it had like my, my, uh, in, in the Valley, Triganini. Uh, my country, I think, um, on it, and I, that was like their eighth album. I thought, good grief, and they've had thirteen. Um, I, again, I've. It depends on how you do this, whether it's ones you like or ones you think are, are really big bands. But I mean, if I'm going to do, it, you've done, you haven't really gone so personal. Perhaps I will. I'll say I'm going to go. I'm going to go the Saints. Um, I'm also going to go the go-betweens and how many is that? One, two, three, four. Okay. Um, I'll have to, I'm going to have to put crowded house in there. I think all these ones that you're not so keen on actually, um, crowded house. And I guess it's, it's, if I don't put the seekers in, cause they were really big for me in the sixties. Um, it's either going to be in excess or another band that we haven't mentioned, but again, they've only done three albums, but the first album I really, really loved, which was get born was the name of the album. Oh, yeah. you know who I'm talking about? Jet. Jet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's going to be either in excess or jet. I should probably have in excess in there to be honest, but, but I do like the jet album as well. Uh, I'm trying to think anyone else has mentioned, um, Graham mentioned a couple that I haven't mentioned and you haven't. Oh, I'm more a contemporary one. Tame Impala. Okay. Yep. Kevin Parker. Yep. Yep. Any views? It's doing very well. Uh, it's it's kind of postmodern rock or something. I'm like, I, I actually, it, 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 it does leave me cold. Um, it's it's almost the same syndrome with um, uh, Powderfinger. Like there's almost enough material there that I like it, but I I listen for something uh, kind of new or quirky or innovative in some way that that I don't hear. Uh, like and obviously a lot of people do hear. Mm. Like that. Like he he has innovations that uh, that other people like very much. I mean he's he's. Uh, he's, you know, had, had an incredible career, but I, I don't hear them. I, I don't hear the innovations that that I uh, that I'm listening for. 
it's sort of psychedelic, more psychedelic, really, is it? Psychedelic pop, psychedelic rock. I don't know what you mm. what you call it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and oh, there's so many bands I've written down here that we haven't. Well, mentioned. you oh, you challenged me to uh, to uh, list uh, artists that I like. So if I had a six that I personally like, yeah, it would be Little River Band, Dragon, The Angels, Australian Crawl, yeah, Cold Chisel. Okay. And uh, and my number six pick would be um, a a rock band in the '90s that I've written a little bit about, kind of like mm-hmm. a Led Zeppelin throwback called Horsehead. And uh, ah, and yeah, again, I remember you mentioned like great aggressive twin guitar attack rock band. Uh, like Thin Lizzy fans would wet themselves. Uh, <laughs> and um and just uh yeah um like. That they they take lots of chances with their songwriting, uh, and they they were just a fish out of water. Um, uh, they they were they were the wrong band for the, the times were wrong for them. If they had been around, like seven years earlier, seventeen years earlier, whatever, they huge. just would have been massive. Yeah, mm. it's it's it just the wrong band for the time. All about timing, um, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I like I I absolutely adore Horsehead. I think they're great. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, um, just finally, I wouldn't be doing Nick. Uh, I'd be doing a disservice. I didn't ask you. Are there any like prog rock bands from Australia? That I mean, we're talking. Yes, we're talking early Genesis. We're talking Pink Floyd. We're talking maybe Jethro Tull, King Crimson. These sort of bands. Are there any of those? I mean, I'm throwing this at you. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, there. I agree, but there, there were a couple, and uh, like I'm, I'm dreadfully put on the spot because um it, I, I didn't think to, to research that and i can't no. think off the top of my head who they yeah, which ones they were but like that that was definitely a thing here but how many of them a, a lot of what happened to those guys was they they ended up kind of um like converting into to pop bands like they just went uh there isn't really a market for this here like and they either like uh, you know, drifted off into obscurity, or or they, they mm. you know change changed tack and and um, uh, like oh geez, no, I'd I'd be reaching if I tried to. No, 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 well, don't worry, no, I did, it, did throw it at you. I know a lot of the prog bands from um, from the seventies, like Genesis, tended to veer away from the prog rock scene and go into um, more of a pop rock field. Well, um, well, as as did yes. As did Yes, they had a few hit singles, which I wouldn't, you wouldn't have dreamt of Yes having hit singles back in the early 70s. Mm. But anyway, a time presses on, and uh, it's certainly gone midnight here, and it's probably, what, 9 a.m. there now? It is. The sun is shining, the day ahead of you, and I'm going to have to go to bed. Um, but uh, it's been great, interesting. We could talk for hours on this stuff. Uh, so many other band names I could have mentioned, but... Save it for another time, perhaps. Um, but Austin, thanks very much for coming on. Um, remember, it's everyone, been a real pleasure. Yeah, listen to uh, Dunmore's um EP, The Caning. Um, it's some great, um, I, I, it was Nick that coined it. He said he sounded very Led Zepp guitar wise, sounded very Led Zepp 2 era. Um, and I thought vocally, maybe a bit Geddy Lee Rushy sort of sound, but. You know, as I said to you on a message once, I don't know how people like to be compared with other people. You know, they want to be themselves. No, I think that's that's a great compliment. You're very kind. All right. 
Well, thanks very much for coming on. Um, this podcast will be posted over the weekend by Shaggy. Um, oh, one back, one artist, of course, you might want to mention is Kevin Bloody Wilson. I mentioned it before, off air, but he does love a bit of Kevin Bloody Wilson. Uh, this podcast will be posted to Breaker, uh, Anchor, Google Podcast, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Spotify, and of course, it will be on the Off the Record. Uh, Facebook page as it will, will be the CDW Productions uh, Facebook page as well hopefully um, for Nick's sake he'll be back next week Slim Nick to uh, discuss whatever else we want to be talking about but in the meantime from the Aussie rock theme from Down Under from Dunmore uh, we better say cheerio so um, it's good night from me And it's good night from him. Not off. Thanks a lot. <laughs>